fantastic to have you uh, with us this morning at St. Michael's for Burning Man, especially if this is your first time uh, with us. If I don't, my name is Pat Allerton, if I don't have your email address, if you don't get um, hassling emails from me, that's probably because I don't yet have your email address. If you'd like to receive our um, reminders every couple of weeks about what's coming up, the Burning Man program, that kind of thing, please do give me your email uh, before you leave, or you can find it on my church website, the St. Dionys Church website. Uh, we'd love to stay in touch with you. But great to have you at Burning Man for a brand new series kicking off today, uh, looking at uh, the tough sayings, the tough sayings of Jesus. Jesus said some pretty full-on things, some s- seemingly harsh things, and we want to get under the skin of those texts uh, and his meaning to get to the heart of um, what uh, he was teaching on. So uh, we're thrilled uh, for the next term. We've got um, an exciting lineup. Uh, I'll introduce our speaker in just a moment, but in two weeks' time, we've got Jonathan Aitken, who was, uh, he was in Maggie Thatcher's government. Uh, in, I don't know if he was in the cabinet, but he was, uh, he was a big cheese back then, and he's a, he's a fantastic man, a good friend of Burning Man, comes along when he can. Um, he's coming to speak, looking at the persecuted church and Jesus' command to love our enemy. But um, our speaker this morning is uh, the Reverend Jonathan Fletcher. Uh, who was minister at Emmanuel Wimbledon for some 30 years. He's known very well to a number of you. Um, I haven't known Jonathan that well, but I'm good friends with a number of guys who I would count as among the most uh, inspiring and solid men of Christ that I know. Uh, So I just want to get Jonathan up to ask him a couple of questions by way of introduction uh, to us all. So, Jonathan, a very warm welcome to Burning Man again. Thank you. You've been a few times. Um, you're a good friend to us here. Um, you're now retired as a minister, so can you perhaps paint a little picture, as much to help me to know what the future looks like, as to what uh, retired life as a Church of England minister looks like for you? Uh, well, the glorious thing that is, uh, as Christians, we never retire. We know that uh, till we're called home, there's always work to be done. Uh, what, I, what happens for me now is that I'm set free from admin. So that if people don't like the hymns or the PA goes on the blink or the heating doesn't work, I'm not responsible, which is, is a great joy. Um, I managed to do quite a few other things. I've been going to the same uh, camps, summer holiday ventures, since 1956. I'm, one year I only went for a few days, but I'm still allowed to go to that, mainly to, to be with the um, undergraduates. Um, I go to Brixton Prison once a week, and um, uh, I've now been made the honorary... Associate Minister of St. Mary's Summerstown, which is a very run-down, fragile church where the vicar is a good man. He wants to retire. He needs to retire. He's run out of steam. Um, it's very fragile. Uh, so it's, when it was built in 1904, there were 400 in the Sunday school. Uh, last week, there were seven, I think. The week before, there were none. So it's very fragile. And um, I do a bit of preaching there. And the hope is that when there's an interregnum, I may be able to uh, look after things a bit and possibly help with the appointment of somebody young, vigorous, to, to take it on. My, my, my fear is that the, the diocese will want to close it or to amalgamate it in some sort of way. We've just got to stop that. So I don't have any early morning meetings any longer except for this one, <laughs> which is a great relief. <laughs> well, we love having you here, and thank you for your support of Burning Mount. Oh, yeah. Why would you say, because I know you are and do have a heart uh, for men's ministry, why do you feel that men's ministry and perhaps ministries like Burning Man are so important um, at this moment in time? Oh, it's absolutely vital. Um, 
The secret of good women's ministry is to have good men's ministry, and the secret of good men's ministry is to have good women's ministry. So they're both very, very important. Um, but it, it is very sad when you've got these lovely Christian ladies and their husbands aren't taking a lead or aren't or well taught. So men's ministry is incredibly important. And therefore what you're doing here, I think it is brilliant. So just keep, keep it up. Wonderful. Well, we'd love to crack on. May I pray for you? Please and then do. we'll make a start. Father, we thank you so much for Jonathan, Lord, uh, for his life, his calling, for the ministry that you have given him, that he continues now. And we pray, Lord, that this morning, by your Holy Spirit, you would come and be with us. And you would take his words and make them the very words of God to each of us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I hope you've been congratulating Pat, because his name was all over, and his photograph, I think, in the Church Times, the success in the um, Cricketers' Cup. So uh, do congratulate him. Probably does other things as well. Um, I, it's lovely to be with a group like this. Do you, have you heard of the, the, um, there was a Christian gathering and there was a doctor and a lawyer there? And they got talking and the doctor said, it's all very well to come to these meetings, but as soon as people discover that I'm a, a doctor, they all come up and tell me their symptoms and so on and so forth. And the whole thing is spoiled. And the lawyer said, well, that's easy. Just send them a bill. And the, the, the doctor said, that's absolutely brilliant. And the next morning, the doctor got a bill from the lawyer. <laughs> Will you turn to Matthew chapter 10? Matthew chapter 10. As we look at the hard sayings of Jesus. Matthew, I've got a slightly longer passage than was initially set. It's page 975. Jesus is speaking. Verse 26. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but who cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So there's some hard sayings there. Uh, it's a very good series that you, you've got. The next one might be on the, the hard questions that Jesus asked. Uh, where are the nine? 
What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Uh, do you love me? And so on. But this is uh, one of the hard sayings, not so much a question. And it's one of the I have comes. And there's also worth studying. There's the great refusal. Jesus gets up early to have a quiet time. Peter comes to, to say, what are you doing, Master? People are waiting to be healed. Now, I've got to go on. I haven't come to heal. I've come to teach. God had one son and made him a teacher. And then at the end of the little episode with uh, Levi, where there are sinners uh, and tax collectors together, gathered together at Levi's house. I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. Uh, a good friend of mine, Tim Chapman, who was just about to be posted overseas in the army, and he gathered a lot of friends for a sort of farewell party, asked me to speak at it, and I mentioned that. Jesus hadn't come to call uh, the righteous but sinners. And Tim's father said, well, if that's the case, Christianity's got nothing to do with me. Yeah, if you think you're righteous. Jesus hasn't come for you. He's come for sinners. And then the other great one, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the I have comes are very special. And here we have this one, I've not come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, a sword. Um, you mustn't interpret one part of the Bible so that it's repugnant to another part. So it's worth talking about the different sorts of peace there are in the Bible. There is peace with God. We are all naturally enemies of God, and that is only dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross. I could do a visual aid. If I got two chairs up here facing each other, that was how things were meant to be in the Garden of Eden. And then man turned his back on God, and God had to turn his back on man. So there was an alienation, an enmity. And the Lord Jesus came and died on the cross, which enabled God to turn around. He was the one who needed to be reconciled. And now entrusted to us is the message of reconciliation. We go to people and say, Jesus has done it all. He's died on the cross so the enmity can be over. You can have peace with God. Turn around and accept what he's done for you. So there's peace with God. Then there's the peace of God, which can garrison our hearts. So even in the most troublous times, there's a peace. It was noticeable at university that uh, Christians, when it came to finals and exams, often had a peace that others didn't have. Our hearts guaranteed and garrisoned by that. And the third piece, false peace. People say peace, peace, where there is no peace. That's what we've got to be uh, careful of. Now, Jesus here talks first about his coming. And his coming is, he says, will bring about division and hostility. Uh, three times he says that he's come for that. Incidentally, that in itself is strange, isn't it? I have come, I have come. That speaks of pre-existence. He was there before in glory. And then he came, he came. And he came not to cause uh, peace, but to cause discord, division, and war. Now, there is no way that Jesus here, uh, you read this in the whole context of the New Testament, is advocating violence in any sort of way. We want to uh, repudiate any of the sort of violence that we've seen in militant Islam, 
and we've got to acknowledge that something like the Crusades were an aberration. But, but Jesus says just the night before he, he dies, I'm going to give you my peace, my joy, and there's going to be constant trouble. There's going to be great difficulty the whole time. Now, in the first century, the persecution came from Jews and in Jerusalem, in Rome. Otherwise, there wasn't much persecution. But from there on in, the Christians have always been persecuted. Um, in the first century, Pliny wrote to the emperor and said, look, these Christians are actually quite good citizens. The one thing they won't do is to worship the emperor. And that's what they, they were got for. But otherwise, they were always good citizens. But I think it's Bernard Shaw who says, beware the revolutionary whose God is in the skies because they're a threat to the powers that be because they're giving their allegiance to a higher power. And uh, that is what had happened. So that because Christians gave their allegiance to the Lord Jesus, they were and have been always uh, persecuted. Uh, and that's continued all down the years. And I gather that in the 20th century, there were more Christian martyrs than in the previous 19 centuries uh, put together. So that's always happened. It's happened from Islam. It's happened from Hinduism. Uh, but as Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. Now, we read of this persecution going on elsewhere, uh, the war and so on. Uh, and we may sort of and in many ways, we're saved from that, but it still does happen. In my first curacy at Cot Foster's, there was a lovely Jewish lady, Benita, who was uh, gloriously converted. And uh, her family put her obituary in the paper. Uh, she got on a bus. There were members of the family on the bus. They immediately got off. So dissension, bitterness in the family. Uh, we had a lovely Hindu uh, doctor, converted when I was at Emmanuel. Uh, terrific hostility from his parents. And even in our own circles, you'll find uh, parents saying to their youngsters, oh, darling, don't take things so seriously. Don't become a fanatic. It looks as if you're joining a, a, a sect. You know, we're frightened of leaving you anything in our will because uh, you might give it to the, to the wrong sort of things. So there is still a lot of hostility uh, around so this is what Jesus said, and it was prophesied, as you see there, in the book of uh, Micah, verse uh, 35, has actually been fulfilled. And it's one of the reasons why we've got to urge Christian young youngsters, they must marry another Christian, because if they marry a, a non-Christian, there's going to be conflict over how you, they use their money, how they use Sundays, how they bring up their children. And either the, the Christian will begin to wobble, and Jesus will no longer be supreme, or they'll see the person they love most uh, going to hell. And why we say to a, a young students and others when they're converted, do be very wise when you, you go home. Don't begin preaching at your parents. Show yourself, first of all, to be a better daughter, uh, a better son. So the gospel, which is all about bringing peace with God and the, the, the hostility being over, and it is a fantastic thing, isn't it, to be able to wake up in the morning and look God in the face and call him Father. That is wonderful, isn't it? But in the world, there's going to be hostility. And the fundamental family unit is liable to be uh, divided. Um, I was brought up to, to um, explain the gospel under ABC. 
admit your sin, believe Christ died for you, come to him. John Stott changed that. Admit your sin, believe Christ died for you, count the cost. Count the cost. And John Stott used to put it, there are three things we've got to give up. We've got to give up sin, we've got to give up secrecy, we've got to give up self. D, do something. But that was John Stott's sort of addition. Count the cost, which is what Jesus uh, always told people to do. So th- that's his coming. Then his claim. Now what Jesus is doing here, verse 37, is demanding a higher loyalty and a higher place in his disciples' affections than husband, wife, children, in-laws. Higher loyalty than any of those. Now, I haven't been able to find it, but a young man wrote a letter to his fiancée, breaking off the uh, engagement, and and saying, in effect, um, I've got to break off our engagement. Uh, I've joined a a cause, and I must give total allegiance to our leader, and that means that I may uh, be imprisoned, I may lose my life, uh, I've got to give everything to him. And it was written by a Marxist, giving every allegiance to Karl Marx and to, to Stalin. Now, we've got something much more important. What Jesus is saying is much more better than, than Marx or Stalin, and he must have total, total supremacy. Uh, Paul, in his um, letter to the Romans, says, uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And the story is told of a, a preacher who preached a very powerful um, message on uh, wholeheartedness. And then the collection bag was uh, passed round, and uh, a plate, and it came to a small boy, and he fumbled through all his pockets. He found a mouse and some chewing gum and all those sort of things, totally inappropriate. And what he did when the plate came to him was to put it on the ground and to step into it. He was presenting his body uh, wholly to, to God. Ian um, Wilson, while he was in his agnostic or atheist uh, phase, uh, wrote a book about the first uh, 50, 60 years of the 20th century. And there is one chapter entitled uh, 2,000 Whispered Voices. And it's the story of William Temple's mission to Oxford University in 1930. And at the end of his final address, uh, he, they were going to sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And he said, now when you sing this hymn, instead of bellowing it out, as often happens, I want you to whisper it and to change the words in the last line. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, shall have my life, my soul, my all. And 2,000 whispered voices shall have my soul, my life, my all. And that is what Lord Jesus is, is demanding. Billy Graham's mission at Cambridge in 1980 I was there as a sort of um, a spare part of one of the, the, the colleges. And um, the final address was on the Sunday evening. But then he gathered us all to Holy Trinity on the uh, Monday morning, all the Christians in the Christian Union. And he said, I'm going to ask you to say after me, Lord Jesus, I'm willing to go anywhere, to be anybody, and to do anything for you. And he got all the Christians saying, Lord Jesus, I'm willing to go anywhere, to be anybody, to do anything for you. And that is what the Lord Jesus is claiming here. Um, the cost will vary 
So for me, the cost hasn't been very great. Um, John Stott used to say, if we compromise less, less we would be persecuted more. But there are going to be those, possibly here today, who the issue of their reputation, or it may be the career. One of our youngsters who was working for Calagas, he was summoned up before the, the board and said, James, we, we, we're satisfied with the way you work, but actually you've got to choose between Cala and God. So he lost his job. So that'll be so for some. For others, it'll be money. For others, it may be the family, which in, I think in some of our Christian circles is becoming the new idolatry. Or it may be just mockery. You're um, part of the happy, clappy crowd, or God squad, or fundamentalist. So this is Jesus' claim. Anyone who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. But then next, we've seen his coming, his claim, now his cross. There have been very few references to the death of the Jesus, to the death of Jesus up to this point. There's just a little hint at the beginning of, of the chapter when it talks about uh, uh, Judas who betrayed him. And Jesus is going to make it clearer and clearer as he goes on that he's come uh, to die. Now, there's a tremendous danger of romanticizing the cross uh, and talk about, you know, the cross I have to, to, to bear, you know, because I've got arthritic knee or something like that. But, of course, it was appalling and it's excruciating. To make sort of light-hearted jokes or comments about the cross would be like making light-hearted comments about Auschwitz or, or something like that. Um, Martin Hengel has written a book about crucifixion. And in the ancient world, it was seen as absolutely appalling. Uh, Cicero said it should never be mentioned. No Roman citizen was allowed to be uh, crucified. It was degrading. It was humiliating. Somebody hung there in nakedness and shame. And it was very public. So this is what he talks about with uh, carrying the cross, because everybody would see them walking through the streets carrying the cross. And Jesus is saying to them, in following me, you've got to have the widest possible publicity. Everybody needs to know, not by a little badge, but by the life you live. And it may mean terrific ostracism, hostility, and indeed a pain. And willingness to die, willingness to die. And the way we make it public, because there's got to be the widest possible publicity, is by our lifestyle. So that at work, secretary, boss, know immediately. So, uh, today, um, you get, get into work, and somebody says, oh, you're, you're a bit late, you have a line this morning. Um, no, we was in a meeting. Oh, really? And the opportunity of telling them about Burning Man, rather than sort of shuffling it quietly. Some of you will know of dear John Chapman, great Australian evangelist, and he used to pray every morning, uh, Lord Jesus, give me opportunities today, and don't be subtle with me. Uh, it so happened that he was about to do a sort of 300-mile journey, most journeys in Australia are about that sort of length, and there was a hitchhiker. And uh, John stopped the car, hitchhiker got in. Chapo said, um, had a good weekend, win a few, you lose a few. Uh, what do you do for a crust, which is Australian for how do you earn your living? And uh, the guy said, I'm a stuntman in a circus. John said, I've never met a stunt. Well, tell me all about it. So the next couple of hundred miles, he was told about what it was like to be a stuntman in a circus. And then the guy said to him, what, did you, what do you do for a crust? 
And Chapo said, um, the Church of England pays me to persuade people to become Christians. Do you have any success? Uh, you win a few, you lose a few. What do you say to them? Lord Jesus, give me opportunities today and don't be subtle with me. And therefore he spelt out the gospel. You guys are going to pray that prayer for today. Lord Jesus, give me opportunities. Don't be subtle with me. Because carrying the cross means widest public uh, vis- visual uh, 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 showing, showing people whom you're following, even when it's going to be very, very costly, very costly indeed. In the parallel passages in uh, Mark and uh, Luke, it talks about taking up the cross and denying oneself. And in Mark's gospel especially, to deny oneself is very poignant because Mark's gospel comes from Peter. And Peter was a denier. Peter was the one who said, do you know? No, I don't know who you're talking about. No, 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 never met him. And to deny oneself is not to deny things to oneself, but it is to deny self to oneself. And we live in an age which is terribly preoccupied with self, self-satisfaction, self-esteem, self-seeking, self-fulfillment. So self comes knocking at the door saying, indulge me, cosset me, find out what sort of person I am. And to deny oneself, say, I don't know who you are, I'm not interested. And Jesus says, look, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross. It must be very, very public. It may mean death. It's going to be costly. And everybody must know about it. So, his cross. But then his command, I went, did you notice that? Comes uh, three times. Verse uh, 26. So, do not be afraid. Verse 28. Do not be afraid. Verse 31, don't be afraid. Three times. We sometimes think that um, Daniel was very brave. Dare to be a Daniel. Actually, Daniel was very wise. If you've got a powerful Nebuchadnezzar or powerful um, Darius and a very powerful God, it is just wisdom to be fearful of God rather than of Nebuchadnezzar or Darius. That's just common sense. And the fear of God delivers us from the fear of man. Uh, So we just need to ask ourselves, do I really fear the Lord? Obviously I've got this wonderful experience that I can wake up in the morning and call him Father. But our Father is also the judge. And he says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And that's why it's worth reading Christian biographies of folk who've uh, uh, been persecuted in the most horrendous way and they've stood firm uh, and not been afraid. And kill my body, kill my body. You can't kill my soul. That belongs to him. The fear of God drives out the fear of man. And then, in conclusion, did you notice his uh, comfort? Verses uh, 26 and 27. His disciples will be vindicated. Verse 26. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the... Everything is going to come out and you will be vindicated. So, yes, take up the cross. Yes, uh, I've come not to bring peace, but a sword, and they're going to be possibly very, very grim dissensions, 
even in the family unit. But you will be vindicated. We are on the winning side. I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel our nation is under judgment, and I think uh, the Church of England is under judgment. And uh, one trembles. Do not be afraid. We are on the winning side. Uh, Foes cannot kill your soul, verse uh, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So once again, you've got this uh, very strong alternative, either heaven or hell. And people who say to you, of course, the Old Testament is full of uh, hell and judgment. Actually, it is the Lord Jesus who speaks about hell more than anybody else and speaks of it as an an appalling possibility. Uh, It's worth doing anything rather than going to hell, having your eye cut out or your hand cut off. Uh, But here, he says, look, the person to fear is the person who can send you to hell. And these other people can't do that. They may kill your body, but they can't kill your soul. And then the third comfort. Your heavenly Father cares for the humblest of his creatures. Verse uh, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Your heavenly Father cares for the humblest of his creatures. And if he cares for sparrows, you can be sure he cares for you. Even when those times of terrific opposition and hostility and war and the sword, he cares for you. He loves us. We're the object of his compassion. And then he will acknowledge us. Verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. And it's been put to me like this. Um, we arrive at the, the pearly gates, and we may be asked um, the question, uh, why should I let you in? And if we begin saying, because I go to Burning Man, or because I've taken a step of faith, or because I tithe my giving, you're not interested. Uh, I'm staking everything on the fact that the Lord Jesus died for me. And the Lord Jesus, so to speak, takes us by the hand and brings us to the Father and says, Father, here's someone else who's been saved and therefore accept him into your royal presence. He acknowledges us before the Father. That is the most tremendous uh, comfort. Um, I don't know the exact words, but a, a good friend of a number of us, Ed Coombs, died 10 days ago, I think. And his last words were that uh, thought of going into the presence of God. Mark Ashton, as he died, wrote, um, on on my way to heaven. Uh, And the prospect, therefore, being acknowledged by the Lord Jesus, by the Lord Jesus himself, before the Father. So, yes, hard sayings, hard sayings. There's going to be a war. It's going to be very costly. It's going to happen... Uh, more in some places than others. It may well be that persecution begins to hot up in this country on various issues. Uh, But Jesus is saying, I'm claiming a higher loyalty than anything in your family or your job or anything else. Uh, But if you follow me, I will acknowledge you before my Father. So a hard saying, but also great comfort. I'm going to pray. We're in good time. Do we, or do we have questions? What, ha- what happens now? Um, just a 
Did anyone want to ask a question? Let me pray and then go and have another croissant. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you very much indeed for the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus in spelling out what is involved in discipleship. Thank you that there's no small print. And we would ask, dear Father, that we will take heed to these words and be ready for the battles that lie ahead. And even hostility from some of the people we love most and are closest to. We pray that our relationship with you will be so deep and so personal and mean so much to us that it is more important than any other relationship, any other idol we might be tempted to follow. And then, dear Father, we claim that we may know your true peace, that we are right with you, that the hostility is over, and that the Father is the one who could kill our soul but will not do so if we're yours, and you will present us to your Father in glory. So help us to heed the, the warning and the challenge, but also to be wonderfully comforted by the promise so that we are not afraid. We ask this in the royal and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Great, guys. Well, why don't we break into our groups and just uh, reflect on all that Jonathan shared this morning. Um, some great challenges and some great encouragements for us. So perhaps uh, we could look at a couple of things, um, beginning with C. Uh, one challenge that you're taking from uh, Jonathan's words and Jesus' words this morning, one comfort and thirdly, one chap that you are perhaps willing to go from here and share your faith with. We had Rico Tice with us two weeks ago, talking about crossing the pain line uh, of sharing and speaking about Jesus. That, that when we cross that line, we will either um, uh, receive um, hostility or we will find hunger and Rico was kicking himself. He emailed me afterwards, kicking himself. He forgot to say something and said, will you pass on to the guys? So I promised him I would, so I'm just passing it on to you. He said, when you cross that pain line, do say to them, now, look, friend, I'm a bit nervous to share this with you because I value our friendship and I don't know how you'll respond. So I said I'd pass that on. So my, my job here is done. But why don't you reflect on one challenge, one comfort, and one chap that uh, you might be willing to go and share your faith with today? Uh, time now to discuss in our groups and then pray for each other before 8 o'clock. Do finish your prayers as and when you're ready, gents. Um, there's a donations box on the way out. Um, suggest a donation of £5 if you're able to donate. That's fantastic. Two weeks' time, we've got Jonathan Aitken, a previous government minister uh, under Maggie Thatcher. So a great one to invite friends to, actually. So see you again in two weeks' time.